Hey, I'm in a series today called Emotional Healing, and I want to share with you some things that I started last week. I started sharing some points about this issue, and the more I study it, ladies and gentlemen, the more I see the problems we have in this area. You know, anxiety, darkness of depression, uh, worry, fear, it's, it's, it's crippling a lot of people. And uh, do I think it's a part of the last days? Yes, I do. I think it's Satan throwing everything he can at us, as he always does. But I think there is a, a spirit of that uh, that is more uh, prevalent than I've ever seen before as far as my years in ministry and dealing with people. And I want to pick up on some things, to, again, that I think are, what, if you allow me to say this, uh, doorways that would open up to these kind of things happening in your life. Last week I talked about the word imbalance and having an imbalanced life that, I lead, that leads to things that will open up the door to these things. If your life is out of control, if your priorities are not in order, Order, then you're going to have problems and issues, and Satan will always play on that. The next thing I want to talk about is, is we look at Proverbs 18.1. is a real key. It's called isolation and loneliness. Back in the pandemic days when people were truly isolated because of the pandemic, we had some issues here with this, and uh, Proverbs 18.1 addresses it. Of course, we were sort of forced at that time to separate, but sometimes people separate without being forced to, and they separate dealing with depression and anxiety, and they shouldn't. As it says in Proverbs 18.1, it says, a man or a woman who isolates themselves seeks their own desire. They rage against all wise judgment. So notice what it says. It says that a person that isolates themselves seeks their own desire. Of course, I like to say it like this. A person that isolates themselves also opens the door to self-pity. In counseling with people and trying to help people, I notice that, again, when people get to a place of isolation, they also get to a place of self-pity. I battled that before, just like anyone else. But we're designed by God to need each other. It's just plain and simple. We need one another. Yes, there's times that you need to be alone. We all need those times. I understand that there's a recharging of the soul. Soul. But if you really want true emotional healing and health, you can't isolate yourself. Isolation brings destruction. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10, 24, listen to this. A very familiar passage of scripture as far as church attendance, but I like to say it like this. It says in Hebrews 10, 24, it says, let us consider one another. Uh, most people read verse 25. But they go back to 24. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What does it mean by consider one another? It means give one another place to look to one another and to do this in love. And as it says, unto good works, that's when we're coming together in verse number 25. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. So some people do that. Some people isolate themselves. Some people, you know, don't go to church or get in an environment like this or in a small group. And when they do that, they're opening the door for Satan to play with their mind and play with their emotions. And uh, again, isolation and self-pity and the internet itself are, you know, a, a tool to bring you into a place of darkness and depression. What do you mean by the internet, Pastor Brian? Well, I mean, social media is a great thing. It's a, it's, it's, it has its blessings, but it also can lead to a lot of other things that, you know, there's nothing like a conversation between one person and the other, okay? There's nothing like being in the presence of someone. You know, I love Sheila, but, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it would be a really healthy relationship if we were never see one another physically. We just texted each other, okay? And, you know, FaceTime one another. I mean, it's all right, I guess. But, and understand when those situations are like that. But God didn't design, in my opinion, or give the creation of the, uh, the phones that we have so that we would separate ourselves. Actually, I think it's to bring us together. 
And uh, that's, just, that's just my opinion. But uh, again, I believe that we're designed by God to be with each other. The, n- the number three, uh, isolation is one of them. Number three is comparing ourselves with others. Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparing is the thief of joy. And so when you look at someone else's life and you say, well, you know, um, my life is this or that, their life's this or that. Listen, you can't compare yourself with others. God has a purpose for every person and every person's unique. Not every person's Brian Jacobs and not every person's you. You're, God, you're designed by God to be specifically you. And the way he made you is uniquely you. And when you compare yourself to another person, as we look in Galatians 6, 4 through 5, uh, you're actually robbing yourself. If they'll put that verse of scripture up, thank you for doing that. And again, I love that quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Again, uh, let's just back up for a second. Let me just say, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm, powerful. When you compare yourself, you're robbing yourself of joy. Because you, well, you say, well, Pastor Brian, what do you mean by comparing himself? Comparing the fact that, you know, you think that if I had this, or if I were like this, or in this situation, I would be happier you are happiest when you are you. Amen? Notice what it says in this verse of Scripture here in Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. This is the Passion Translation. It says, Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them. Notice that. That God gave you a specific thing to do with excellence, and then it says with joy and doing what's right and being themselves. Everybody say being themselves. And not being affirmed by others. Listen, it's important to be affirmed by others. Understand that I'm accountable to others. You know, I have people in my life that, that, that speak into my life regularly. Of course, Pastor Krause was one of them, and now he's in heaven. But again, him and many, many others, and I have another pastor friend that's doing that in the place of Pastor Krause. <clears throat> my point is that being affirmed by others is important, ladies and gentlemen, but you being you is more important to God. When you are, <coughs> excuse me, when you are, you are, when you find who you are and your own personal identity and don't compare yourself to others, then you get to a place of joy and peace. You know, as a minister, uh, many, many times in the ministry, uh, this is often, often the confrontation or not the confrontation, but how we deal with one another. It's always comparing one another. How large is your church? How large is this? Is your ministry growing? How many people are attending? How many people are giving? Et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, numbers are important. God created the book of numbers. I'm not belittling numbers, but again, comparing yourself in the realm of ministry sometimes is so discouraging because success is based upon physical numbers, not necessarily spiritual things, in my opinion, in some cases. But you know, a healthy church to me is a better church than a growing church that has a whole bunch of numbers. I traveled for, you know, six years before I founded this church, and this month will be 18 years. And one of the things that were a real issue with me was I was in big churches, some of them in big denominations, but there was so much strife and so much contention and so much politics going on that even though they had numbers, they had income, they had this, that, and the other, but the staff was in strife. The pastor was in strife with the board. There were key people in the church family that were big, what they call big donors, and they were fighting against this and fighting against that. Many of the times I was brought in to do church growth evangelism, but ended up being a referee between the staff and the elders or the trustees or the board of directors or whatever you called it because there was so much unhealthiness. And again, pastors and denominations, you know, it just is amazing right now. The average stay in the Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention of a pastor is five years. Five years. 
I've been at Metroplex Family Church. Of course, we founded it. I founded it 18 years ago, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just saying this, and it amazes me, you know, that God would call a man, but he was only be there for five years. <laughs> you know, it just, it's just, it doesn't make sense. All right, God's called me to be here, but then he's leaving in five years. And so that, that, that thief that Satan uses and that comparing ourselves and competing against ourselves. I was, with a, I was in a pastor's luncheon recently, and uh, a pastor of a larger church, here, and he, he's such a nice guy. It's actually Pastor Ronnie Mary at First Baptist Church here, just a precious man, community guy, and we were talking about some stuff, and I just looked at him, I said, Pastor Ronnie, I said, we as a group of ministers, we're meaning that we're not here to compete, we're here to complete each other. And it just, just I could tell he it was set back, he said, Brian, he said, you know, if everybody had the attitude you have, we'd build this city and build this churches of all of our churches and reach Burleson in a greater way than we ever have before, because that's the way that my mindset we should have. As a matter of fact, I thank God for Pastor Ronnie Marriott of First Baptist Church. I mean, there are things they've offered and things they are willing to give to us, supportive of us. You say, well, hey, we have different beliefs and all that. Well, so what? Everybody's got different beliefs, you know? But I love what Dr. Billy Graham used to teach me and teach us as his team. Hey, we can all believe on one thing, and that's Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's the foundation. Then we can start from there, and then we can work out the doctrinal differences later especially when we get to heaven. But comparing ourselves will bring you into a place of anxiety. Number four, here's the, here's the key one, number four, and that is negative self-talk. Everybody say negative self-talk. All right, turn to Psalm 42. Or, I mean, excuse me, look at Psalm 42, Psalm 42, verse 5. This is in the Passion Translation again. Forgive me as we're looking at some different versions. But again, as we're good to listen to this. 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. This is a quote by Brian Tracy. So before I re read this verse, scripture, isn't that interesting? 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to who? Yourself. Now let's just pause for a minute. What are you saying to you? Think about it. What are you saying to you when nobody's around? How are you talking? I know you talk to yourself. Don't even go there. I mean, I know you're talking to yourself, okay? We all do it. We're all get with it's this is a part of life, okay? You talk to yourself, but are you talking positive? Are you talking negative? Did you look in the mirror this morning and go, oh my God? Or did you look in the mirror this morning and say, oh my God, look at how handsome or whatever. You said, Pastor Brian, you know, you're really pushing for something. Hey, listen, the Bible says not be, my, be moved by what you see. <laughs> so anyway, you may not think that I'm beautiful, but the Lord loves me just the way I am. And he thinks I'm handsome and uh, whatever. And uh, so anyway, uh, no, seriously, how are you talking to yourself? What are you saying to yourself? Look, what, let's go back to this verse of scripture in Psalm 42, 5 in the Passion Translation. Thank y'all so much. For so then, my, so then, my soul, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink in despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God, your Savior. For no matter what, I will still sing with praise for, the li for living before his face is my saving grace. So look at that top of that verse. It says, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink in despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God. God is your hope. 
He's your hope. And you need to talk to yourself in the fact that when you're by yourself, you're really not by yourself because if the Lord is with you, then you're not by yourself, right? He says clearly he'd never leave you nor forsake you. So when you're talking to yourself, I think you need to really talk to yourself in a more healthier way. Sometimes we belittle ourselves, we cut ourselves down, we compare ourselves, we isolate ourselves, and then Satan starts playing this card. He gets us into depressive thoughts. He gets us into anxiety. He gets us into worry. Sometimes we worry about things just for the sake of worrying. And when we worry about things, they never come to pass because they just they were false evidence appearing real. Now, sometimes things that are upon your mind or issues you're dealing with, I understand that. But nine times out of 10, most worry is just rehearsing something over and over and over and over and over and over until it gets you to a place where you're discouraged and depressed. And, you know, I, I got a question to ask you. The things you were worrying about six months ago, where are they today? Most of them have taken care of themselves. Did your worrying add anything to the betterment of your life? Well, Pastor Brian, it was on my mind. Well, yeah, I understand that. But why are you letting your soul be depressed and despair in the fact that when God is for you, what can dare stand against you to destroy you if God is for you now? If he's not for you, then, man, we don't have any hope at all. But in his saving grace, we have a lot of hope, ladies and gentlemen. And to me, a lot of people talk to themselves, belittle themselves, and cut themselves down, and their words privately are hurting themselves. I'm not talking about when you, you know, somebody pulls out in front of you and you get mad, you know, and say things you shouldn't say. Okay, I'm not, those, yeah, those are negative words, and you shouldn't do that, okay? All right? <laughs> you say, Pastor Brian, that's hard to do on I-25, I mean, I-35 and I-20. I understand that. But at the same time, I'm just learning to practice, you know, God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. If you want to come by me at 80, 90 miles an hour, God bless you. May the Fort Worth Police Department get to you very, very soon in the name of Jesus. Love you, want to be you. See you, wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> you know, if people are going to act that way, okay? And man, people get ticked off and set. I mean, some people are on edge these days. Have you noticed it? I mean, man, you look at the, I was at, I was at Chick-fil-A the other day, and man, and my son works there, so I'm defensive of Chick-fil-A, I guess, and uh, you know, man, they better not do this to him, but man, they were so impatient. Well, they did do this to him, but I wasn't there. If I'd have been there, I'd have got Josh and Curtis and Dave, and we'd have gone up there and done our own personal visitation, but when, uh, seriously, they, they were coming in there, and they were demanding that the fries be at a certain you know, the waffle fries be at a certain way. And so Samuel gives them one order. He gives them another order. And then they come back for the third order. Then the manager gives it to them. And finally, they're satisfied. But to put a big, big deal about these fries and to act that way and treat my six, well, well he's not 16, my 15-year-old like that, hey, grow up and, you know, let's, let's, let's have a better life than that. But, you know, I told Samuel, I said, listen, son, I said, here's the deal. You're in a public business. People are going to wear their emotions on their sleeve. There are two kinds of people in the world, those that are born again and those that are not. What do you do? You do it with a smile. The customer is right. You give it your best, and you give it to the Lord, and God will defend you. And in that day, it wasn't Samuel's actions, but the attitude of the manager that handled that situation. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, we have to come to that place then. We need to self-talk about ourselves because we know that people are not doing it, but we need to do it as believers. So look what it says here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is the Amplified Classic Edition, so watch this. It says, For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, what is worthy of reverence, what is honorable... 
what is seemly, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is lovable, what is gracious and kind, excuse me, whatever is kind, winsome, and gracious. If there be any virtue, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, watch this. Think on, weigh on, and take account of these things. Look at the last part of this verse. Let's say it together. Fix your mind on them. One more time. There you go. Fix your mind on what's good, what's true, what's lovely. You say, Pastor Brian, that's hard to do. It is hard to do when people are coming at you with such negativity. That's why you need to really balance what you hear and how you hear things. I mean, it's okay to listen to the news. It's okay to follow the news cycle. But there comes a place where, you know, you just had to step back and, you know, am I going to let my mind fix on this situation and all that's going on? Or am I going to fix my mind on the Lord and being him being my source in this situation? And I'm going to talk to myself in a healthier way. I'm not going to be moved by what I see. I'm going to be moved by what I believe. Because listen, if you continue to fix your mind on things that are not of the word of God, of things that are contrary to the word of God, it will depress you. It will bring you down. Light an example and, and, and or excuse me, light in a situation and bringing darkness out of the situation and environment is everything. If you put yourself in a dark place, if you put yourself surrounded by dark music, you know, I'll never forget growing up in the 80s, uh, <laughs> I was on tour with this one band and uh, our buses were all, we were, we were at two, two different venues together. Here I am playing with this the country rock industry, okay? So I'm in the, you know, that kind of genre. Anyway, and right next door to us was Iron Maiden. <laughs> if you Don't even raise your hands if you ever heard of them. Anyway, Iron Maiden was next door. Anyway, we were playing this venue. They're playing this venue, okay? Our, our, our show was a little bit earlier, and, uh, and, and their show was right after ours. Anyway, I'm coming down there, and there's this line of buses, and if you've ever been behind a the, the, you'll see all the rigs and the buses. Well, anyway, I'm just doing the show. I'm just walking down there. This is in Memphis, Tennessee. And I got up on the wrong bus. I, my bus was red. Their bus was red. And, uh, you know, I just, I was tired. And, uh, but then I said, well, I got to go to the bus. So I got up the bus. I get up in the bus and all these guys with long hair. And my guys had all short hair. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, and they're all English guys. How are you, you know, we we're talking really weird. And I'm like, I, and I said, "Who in the heck are you?" <laughs> so, and, and they 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 so they introduced themselves. I said, "Man, I must have got on the wrong bus. I'm with the band next door." And uh, and anyway, they then they, they then they got insulted because they didn't they didn't know who they, I didn't know who they were. And so I said, "I've never heard of you. I just do not know who you are." And uh, but have you ever heard of me? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of Dolly Parton? And so this is, this is where we are over here. Nah, so I said, have you ever heard of the group Alabama? This is where we are. And they never heard of that either. So I said, we're on this venue. Anyway, we got to talking. And so um, anyway, they were, they, were so, they were so despondent that all these people were praising them. And I get on the bus and I don't know who they are. So they gave me, for some of you that are younger, they gave me a cassette tape. Uh, some of you will figure that out later when you understand what a cassette tape is, okay? Anyway, the cassette, it's a little round box and it, it had little things in it, okay? It's a cassette tape. So I went and I got on the bus later and I had a little Walkman thing and I listened to them and I'm like, man, that music is terrible. <laughs> I mean, it gets you discouraged. 
It gets you depressed listening to it. And um, anyway, my point that is music's powerful. I never forget listening to their music thinking, man, they're terrible. And then I got to seeing that they were really famous. As a matter of fact, our show was only 5,000. Their show was 20,000 people over here. And people were listening. I'm thinking, man, if you keep putting that stuff in your mind, this is before I became a Christian, it's going to discourage you and destroy you. Because it just didn't have any hope to it. You say, well, Pastor Brian, does Kenny Rogers? Well, I thought Kenny Rogers had hope to it. At least we were, you know, having positive music compared to that. My point is environment is everything. And listen, I'm not here to cut down Metallica, and I'm not here to cut down some of these bands. But I will say a quote by Jimi Hendrix. This is not in my notes, but it's so true. Jimi Hendrix says music is a spiritual thing. And so my point with this is you are what you listen to. It sets the mood. By the way, that's one of the things when I quit writing, even though I've written some songs recently, when I stopped writing, we used to go in the studio and, and, and for country rock, we would get the most discouraging, most despondent environment we could create, okay? And so we would get in the mood to write depressing songs, okay? Because that's what made money, and I'm telling you what, music is powerful and all these things coming at you, what you watch on TV. Sometimes when, if you were to come to my house now, you can't come in the back there where I'm, you know, in the bathtub now. But if you come back there, you're going to see Pastor Brian or you can listen through the door. And by the way, I don't want you in my house listening to my door. But anyway, guess what I'm, guess what I'm watching and listening to? Hogan's Heroes, Gilligan's Island, <laughs> Gomer Pyle. Listen, if we are not laughing at some things, we're way too serious. Listen, I know every one of Tim Hawkins' jokes by now, okay? I have memorized his entire set list over and over and over again because I think life is worth life uh, laughing at, okay? I think it's all about having a good environment. I watch Johnny Carson reruns, okay? You know, I think we need to have a healthy perspective on these things because, listen, if you're not processing life with peace and fixing your mind on something good, Satan's going to come in and he's going to slowly and subtly keep your mind into a place of depression and darkness and it will really begin to affect you over time. Next thing I want to talk about quickly is number five, how the ability to process pain in a healthy way. Genesis chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50. Now, this is a story you'd have to go back and but in Genesis chapter 50, and this is something that's so awesome. Listen to this in Genesis 50. Let me get to this. And uh, this is about Joseph and what his brothers did to him. But he makes a statement here that I just want to bring your attention to because of the, of the fact of what pain does to our lives. Again, I'm not talking about God doing something to you. I'm talking about the world just simply and the curse of this world beating you down and, and affecting you. But look what it says here quickly. Genesis 20, 50, 20, it says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God turned it around for my good. What Satan meant to destroy you, God can turn it around. But you've got to look at that. You, you say, well, Pastor Brian, you know, was it God's plan? No, God's plan is not to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. But Satan's plan is to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. But what Satan meant to destroy you, what he meant to absolutely rub your face in the ground and say that you'll never be anything and you'll never amount to anything, God can turn that thing around. And Joseph's story is a powerful story of that happening. And you've got to picture yourself like Joseph. And if you study the life of Joseph, and again, I should you know, turn this whole series into a study of Joseph. He's worthy of that. But ladies and gentlemen, the beauty of this man is the fact that what God absolutely reached in there, and this man's very things that I'm talking about today, the very things Joseph did, he didn't allow that adversity to destroy him. 
Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and forgive me for not giving a lot of times to Joseph, but he is worthy of our study. But let's quickly go to Philippians 1, and let's look at the Apostle Paul. He's also a man that knew about adversity. Philippians chapter 1, listen to this in verse 6. Philippians 1, again, I'm talking about the ability to process pain. There is a purpose in this pain. Pain will absolutely motivate you to do great things if you allow it. As a matter of fact, just in my little childhood there, when I was uh, at the tender age of 11 years old, beautiful, handsome, full of red hair, a very distinguished young man at Talladega Middle School, I applied to play for the drums in middle school. And I didn't have any drumsticks, I didn't have anything, but I went in the band hall that day and Miss Fleming auditioned me and I tried my best, as nervous as I was, to play the drums. And she pulled me aside after 30 minutes of working with me and she said, you have no talent. You have no talent at all, young man. Go do something else. Oh my gosh, I was crushed. I was so crushed. I cried and cried and cried. And cried and cried and cried and cried. I mean, I did. I did. I've never hurt like that in all my life. Anyway, I went and I found me a pair of drumsticks. As a matter of fact, there was a concert that next day. And this band came into our high school and played in an assembly. And anyway, the drummer, I actually got a pair of his sticks. Anyway, and I went home and I started practicing. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I worked at it and I worked at it. And then I became the most talented, voted the most talented person in my high school. And then when I was a senior, I was playing professionally. Well, I'll never forget, I found Miss Fleming (laughs) my senior year. I found her and I went to her and she didn't remember who I was. But I went into her, her office there. I said, Miss Fleming, this is what you did to me. I said, but it turned around to be a motivation, and here I am today playing the drums. And she apologized. She actually apologized. And she said, well, I just didn't see anything that day, I guess. I said, well, I saw something. I said, you know what? You can't determine and judge someone by looking at something at that moment. you got to look at someone's heart and attitude. I said, I wanted to help, and you didn't help me but so, so others did. And God turned it around. And I love this instrument. I played it yesterday for nearly an hour, these drums. They're just relaxing to me. I love enjoy making music, and I'm very thankful for them. I'm telling you, God has a way of turning around. Look what the Apostle Paul says in chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verse 12, talking about being in, being in prison, all the adversity he was facing. Maybe you can relate to this. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? The things, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And of course, again, verse 6 of Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will complete. Everybody say complete it. He'll complete it, but he'll complete it because you're not going to isolate yourself. You're going to talk to yourself in a better way. You're going to process adversity in a better way. When pain and pressure come, you're not going to succumb to it and say, well, I guess God's teaching me something. God will use that. Of course he will. He will use that adversity to bring victory, but he's not trying to punish you to make you, you know, better because he, you know, you did something wrong. God is for you. He's not against you. If the Bible says clearly, if a person falls, what they will do not. What's the next thing they'll do? They'll get up. What's the most natural thing to do when you fall? Is to get back up. And with the Lord, I love this promise. It says, he who began a good work in me will complete it. That's why the apostle said, he said in verse 12, even though I may be in prison, all this adversity is coming against me, I know that God is going to turn this around. And look what happens. I mean, we have the New Testament and this man writing a majority of it all because of the way he processed and handled the depression, the darkness. I mean, he was in prison. 
And by the way, let's remember something. The, the prison then that he was in is not like the prisons we have today. It was a far worse situation, a far more negative situation. But God turned it around. And look what happened today, that we are benefiting from this man's attitude. And he could have been depressed. He could have been in darkness. He could have succumbed to it and given up. And God would have raised somebody else. Instead of having the apostle Paul write half the New Testament, we'd have had somebody else write it. But this man determined in himself that God was able to bring him from darkness to light, from oppression to victory, and from a sense of despair to peace. And God can do the same thing for you and I. Number six, as I close with this, again, in the process of pain, these are just things we need to look at. Number six is probably the most simple of the things I've talked about, but it's also the most misunderstood thing about anxiety, depression, and, and worry, and fear, and these things that knock on the soul of our mind, and that is understanding the battlefield. Everybody say battlefield. The battlefield of the mind, anxiety, depression, worry, these are spiritual battles, not physical battles necessarily. Even though physical manifestations may happen, your body may respond in certain ways physically to this mental warfare going on, but this is a spiritual situation. And we win using spiritual weapons. We don't necessarily win by using medication. And I'm not here to talk about or any, any way against medication, especially with a doctor's consent that you're working with. That's between you and your doctor. Here I am here to point out, though, that if you understand that it's a spiritual battle and fighting it with spiritual weapons, there's no side effects with spiritual weapons. Let's look at Ephesians 6, I mean, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 in the Amplified. If you'll look at that in the Amplified Classic, then I'm going to go to Ephesians 6, 10, and we'll take it from there. Notice what it says here. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation. Watch this. Under what? The hand of God. Let's say it under what? The hand of God that he would exalt you in due time over this situation. He'll give you the betterment, the victory over it. Notice what it says in verse number seven. Uh, seven, verse seven. Casting. Let's, let's read this together. Casting the whole of your care all together. One more time. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him. For what? He cares for you watch, effectually and cares about you watchfully. Isn't that good news, ladies and gentlemen? Isn't that peaceful? One more time, casting the whole of your care, all these anxieties, all these worries, all these concerns once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. However, once you cast it over on him, if you get it back, he is not going to take it back if you keep pulling it back. Notice that. If you give it to God, like you're going to give it to God here in just a minute, because we're going to pray as we close this service, but then all of a sudden you take it back with your words, or you get on the phone, or you send a text, or you post something on Facebook, and you keep rolling that care over in your mind. You keep worrying about that care. You say, Pastor Brian is staring me in the face. What do I do with the care? Cast it over all upon him. There comes a place where a situation where you have to literally give it to God and let God be God. For example, a year ago, a year ago, I mean, I was so discouraged about our parking lot. I mean, I was terribly discouraged. I would not let you know. I let the elders know. I let the leadership know. But privately, personally, I did not like a gravel driveway. I hated it. I hated it. And you know, I made you know, you know, the joke about I used to. I used to go around and sit around parking lots for a couple of minutes out there rubbing the concrete. Okay, I know some of you are like there's Pastor Brian. What is he doing? His hands on that white concrete over at Walmart or wherever. You know, especially when there was going to pour concrete in another place. I'm parking out there, getting in front of my car, making pictures and 
sort of crying about it, you know, having a moment of self-pity, you know, they got concrete and I don't, you know, and uh, I mean, the most exciting thing to me going down Interstate 35 and Interstate 20 was seeing a concrete truck for two years. <laughs> so I kept telling that truck, you need to go to 506 Pleasant Manor. <laughs> anyway, but then I took this verse literally in this situation I'll never forget it. I just cast over the Lord and I said, I'm not going to talk about it ever again. And so I went six weeks without saying a word to anybody. I refused to talk about it. I refused it. I had three pastor friends call me. All three of them had brand new parking lots. I had none. We only had $30,000 in the bank account. I had two people give me estimates. We weren't even close. Oh, and then I did have a pastor out of the blue come up to me. I met him in this meeting. He said, hey, I've got a great banker, and we'll give you a loan for it. And I said, no, I'm not doing a loan. Not going to do it. Not going to do a loan. Not going to do a loan. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. But that parking lot is going to become a reality in this church situation. I cast the care over the Lord. Then this is what I did. For three weeks, I came over here Monday through Friday, and I walked from here all the way over to there, and I quoted this verse of Scripture. I said, Lord... This is not my care anymore. I'm giving it to you. I want this paved in parking lot. As a matter of fact, I'm just calling it here. And it's going to be paid for. And right now, in the natural, that's impossible. As a matter of fact, the month that I started that was one of our lowest months financially we'd had in a while. And I'm talking, you talk about being moved by the flesh. I was dealing with it big time. But anyway, I started my walk, and I did that every single day, Monday through Friday. I didn't make it long. I didn't make it drawn out. But I acted on this verse of Scripture. And I just kept giving it to him. And if you'd have drove by, you'd have seen me doing this, literally. I'd throw my hands in the air. I'd say, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And i quote this verse. I said, it's yours. It's not my problem. It's yours. I want this paving parking lot. As a matter of fact, I said, if we got streets of gold up there, we can have concrete here, okay? And so I just kept it before the Lord. And then the next time that we really was an issue in my face, is when things begin to happen, and they happen quickly, and God took care of it at the end of a year ago in that one summer. In 10 days, everybody say 10. In 10 days, he brought the entire amount. In 10 days, it was paid for. In 10 days, we saw the whole thing turn around. And I'm telling you what, God is faithful. When you trust him, and when you take the battlefield of the mind and put it in the proper perspective and give it to the Lord, when you give it to the Lord, and I, you say, that's concrete, Pastor Brian. It could be anything in your life. It may not be concrete in your situation, but still, it's important to you. It's important to me. And I want you to know, listen to me, it's a spiritual thing. Even though that concrete out there is physical, it was spiritual to me. And it was a breakthrough for this church family. It was a breakthrough for you. Because I knew that if I could believe God for a hundred and some thousand dollars out of the impossible. And by the way, let me ask you, let me ask you a question here. Did during that time, did you ever receive an email, a text, or a plea, or an offer from this podium or via technology for me concerning car, uh, raising funds for a parking lot? Did anyone? Did you ever see a Facebook post? No, you did not. You know why? Because I acted on this verse of scripture. You said, Pastor Brian, that wasn't important. Maybe it wasn't important to you, but it was important to me. And also, I didn't want anybody to be parking on gravel anymore. I wanted you to get out and not have mud on your shoes. I wanted you to park on concrete. I knew that if God can build what he can build at other churches, he can build it at our church. And I literally acted upon this verse of scripture. Turn to Ephesians. Let me turn to Ephesians 6 and we'll close with this. Let me close with this. I'm just telling you, that's a powerful principle. 
And it's not because I'm special. It's because of the fact that I just dared to believe God. I just dared to trust him beyond myself, beyond what I could feel, beyond what my mind was telling me and how everybody was telling me it was impossible. And again, even Pastor Krause came to a point and said, listen, Brian, he said, just take aside $1,000 every, you know, every couple of weeks. I said, Pastor Krause, by the time I do that, we'll be 35 years old as a church, you know? Anyway, um, Praise the Lord. Anyway, notice what it says here. But I'll never forget what Pastor Krause did do. He, he sent me a note. He gave me $1,000. He sent me a note. He said, I want to be the first 1000 This is before the whole thing came in. He said, here's $1,000. And he said, whatever your faith is and wherever you're believing God for, I just want to stand with you. I didn't tell him about 1 Peter 5, 6. I didn't tell him what I was doing. I said, well, this is just where I am. I'm just, I'm believing God. Because I said, it's bothering my mind. He said, well, don't let it bother your mind. Here's the first $1,000 and let's start from there. Because I'll never forget what he used to tell me. He'd send me a text about it, just out of random. He'd say these three words, God is faithful. God is faithful. Sometimes he would call me up. He said, Brian, this is Bill Krause, Sacramento, California Family Community Church, located on North Highlands Avenue, 37212. I just want to let you know God is faithful. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> or he'd do the same thing and send a text. God is faithful. Man, I love that man. I love that man. Him and the queen are up there having a good time now. All right. And notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. I mean, man, you need people, people like that in your life. You don't need people to pity with you. You need somebody to coach you through it, okay? He didn't ever call me up and say, God, we just don't know what is going to happen. Man, he was with me. He was with me. Man, I appreciate that about him, and I always will. Ephesians 6.10, notice what it says here. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in who? Oh, come on now. Be strong in who? One more time. And, 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 and Sergeant Carter used to tell Gomer Powell, I can't hear you. Be strong in who? In the power of who? His might, not your might. It says, listen to this. This is for you now. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse number 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then it talks about taking on the whole armor of God. But my point with this as we close is, look what you're wrestling with. Not flesh and blood. You're wrestling with everything that hell's trying to get to stop you. And when you stand in who you are in Jesus Christ and believe for him to be your victory, to be your source, then I'm telling you something, something has to eventually break. That, that time for this parking lot, I had a faith beyond myself. Yes, I had the agreement of one man called Bill Krause, but I had faith in God and trust in God. And I fought all the factors that were against me. I mean, I fought them diligently to the fact that one, again, one pastor friend of mine in this city, precious man, came up to me, gave me a card and said, I have a banker friend. I have a man that works for a concrete company. You get the loan and everything will be all right. You'll have it paid for in about 10 years. And I said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. It goes against everything in my conviction in my heart. So, plus, I promised my own pastor, Harold Nichols, I'd never do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'll be happy and content by the fact of the, just trusting him. And I knew that it was a spiritual thing, but it did something in me. 
and it did something in my life, and I'm telling you what, believe in God is something never to be ashamed of. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for giving us the capacity to believe beyond ourselves that whatever we're facing today, we refuse to let darkness, depression, anxiety, fear, and worry, and the spirit that says you can't, the spirit that says it won't happen, the spirit that's oppressive and tries to rob us of the peace and joy of being your child. I just thank you in the name of Jesus that in your name and in your power, we are stronger than these things that come against us, the, this darkness and depressiveness in the name of Jesus. Let's all say this together out loud and with confidence in our Lord. Say in Jesus' name, my mind, my emotions belong to the Lord. I give them to him. I cast down everything that's negative, oppressive, and fear-filled. I refuse to talk to myself in a negative way. I say to pain, it will be victory in Jesus' name. And what I don't understand, by the wisdom of God, I will understand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are my victory in my mind and in my body. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I just pray over every person, those that are watching right now. Again, I thank you so much for your peace, your presence, your power, and your provision. I thank you also for giving us victory, giving us victory and the strength in the inside to be stronger inside, to say no to the things that are outside us. Lord, we want to thank you. There's no spirit, there's no demonic influence that's greater than the spirit of the living God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it quickens us. And I pray that quickening power to every person in this auditorium to those watching. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're our victory, that by your divine plan, we are destined to be the people you've called us to be because you gave the price and we refuse anything that's not of you in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.